Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among the peoples. I made him a leader among nations. You also will command nations you do not know, and people unknown to you will come running to obey, because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call to him while he is near. Let, let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of wrongdoing. Let them turn to the Lord that he may mer have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you. Um, thank you, as always, for this room and these people. Thank you for the ways that you meet us here and put us back together here. I ask you to um, fill this place with your spirit. We believe that you're with us always. I pray that we feel your nearness. We, I pray that um, we hear the song that you sing over us, the song that Dottie just read of a love that is unfailing, of your glory in us. In your name we pray, amen. Um, so we spent the last couple of weeks of Lent uh, looking at times in Jesus's life when he intentionally pulled away, he intentionally got away. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus in the desert being tempted by Satan. Last week, we talked about the mountain where Jesus goes away with Peter and James and John and is transfigured before them. And this has been really intentional. It's, it's, uh, it's an on-purpose move for the season of Lent that we look at times in the scriptures where um, the people of God or Jesus, they, they pull away and, and do some work sort of on the side. And so we're going to do that today again. Um, 
Except we're going to spin it around instead of looking at the stories of Jesus doing this, we're going to look at the Old Testament um, and a season of wilderness for the Israelites, for the people of God. Um, so uh, actually, I'll be honest with you. I, so every week in the lectionary, there are four different texts. I have four different texts to choose from, and that's really exciting. And this week, I was really struggling, and Dottie was reading. And um, it, it, and a couple weeks ago, I sent her the scriptures, and and uh, and she called and she said, "Which one are you going to preach on? I hope it's Isaiah 55." And I was like, "Oh, we'll see." We'll see what happens. And, and since then, I, I couldn't get uh, away from this. And so, so I'm excited. I'm excited to, to, to intentionally go back to the Old Testament. We spent a lot of time in the New Testament over the last couple of weeks, but I'm glad to go back. So uh, one of the reasons that I think it's a really good thing to spend our time in the stories of wilderness during Lent, the stories of um, intentionally pulling away during Lent, is that uh, wilderness times and journeys for Israel uh, and for us are times and journeys of refinement. That's what's happening. That's what Lent is. Lent is a 40-day journey of refinement, of turning toward Jesus, of turning toward our salvation, toward the resurrection. And so looking at times where Jesus, or where God pulled people out in order to do a refining work in them is a really good thing. So before we get rolling in, into uh, what I think the, the prophet in Isaiah has to say to us, I want to give you a little bit of uh, context. So Israel, Israel, the people of God, they have more than one season like this in the Old Testament, more, more than one season of exile. That's where they're in, in Isaiah 55. Um, and more than one time this happened. They spent, the uh, Israelites, you know the stories of, uh, they spent 40 years wandering around in the desert, waiting for the promised land. Moses is leading them into the promised land. It takes 40 years to get there. Um, that happens uh, before where we are in Isaiah 55. After where we are, um, the Israelites will spend 400 years Years wandering around in the wilderness, waiting for Jesus, for the Messiah to come. Um, and then our text today finds them during a seven, kind of about 150 or 200 years before that, during a 70 year season of exile uh, where they're living under the rule of the Babylonians. So uh, last fall, we studied Nehemiah as a church, which I loved. It was really fun. Um, and, and it's the same kind of time period. So I'm not going to give too much of a history lesson because I, I just did history lessons for like six weeks. Um, but uh, so last fall, dear Nehemiah, it's the same time. This is 6th century BC. Uh, and the people of God, they have been exiled from Jerusalem, from their home. And they're now sitting under the rule of someone else. They're sitting under the rule of the Babylonians. And so for 70 years, they've been in this different land. The people of God in a different place. And so what's happened is, is um, instead of being in their own place, as they've sat under the rule of someone else for 70 years, they've started to take on the practices and the characteristics of Babylon. Take on the, the practices and the characteristics of, of, of the place where they're living. It's not their true home, yet they're starting to act like um, the people of this new home. And so here in chapter 55, uh, we have Isaiah um, a, a prophet writing in Isaiah who, who is taking note of this. He's saying, um, he, his, his, this is sort of a commentary on the fact that the people of God are looking less and less like a distinct people, less and less like a set apart people and more and more like Babylonians. And so that's what he's writing from. He's writing this poem uh, to the people of God who are finding themselves drawn and enticed uh, by the promises of Babylon. And, and, and he's writing in order to remind the Israelites where they come from, to remind them, reminding the people of God of their true home. And so I think in 2019 for us, 
There are a lot of rich, rich things that we uh, can learn here. So uh, Babylon, uh, this, this will be helpful as we continue. Babylon uh, all th- shows up all throughout the scriptures long after this period of time. Um, and Babylon sort of becomes this picture, um, even in the book, till the book of Revelation, even the book of Revelation, uh, Babylon becomes this picture of, of any empirical power that stands in complete opposition to God. And so that's, that's who the prophet is writing to, is he's saying, you are living under something that's in complete opposition to God, an empirical power that's in complete opposition to God, completely opposite to the practices and the characteristics and the language of God, of the kingdom of God. And so the voice of Babylon all throughout the scriptures, it's, it's the same voice. Babylon um, is declaring and saying the same thing. It's a voice that is constantly saying, um, come and buy and eat more come out and buy more and eat more and more and more and more and more. That's the voice of of Babylon. You need more. In Revelation 18, uh, John, uh, the revelator says it this way. He says, Babylon lived to glorify herself and live a life of luxury. The lure and enticement of Babylon from beginning to end in the scriptures is, is this message of more. It will take a really active imagination for us to see how that relates in 2019. You know, we just, we just can't relate to the old Bible. Um, this, this message of, of you need more. And, and basically what Babylon, uh, the message of Babylon is saying is not only do you need more, but, but it's, it's more specific. It is you need more. There's more to be found outside of God. There's more security to be found outside of God, more rescue to be found outside of God, more stuff, more joy, more hope to be found outside of God. And this is a message that is in complete opposition to the heart of God and the heart of his people. And it's a message that the people of God are hearing loud and clear constantly in their new home, uh, in this place that was never meant to be their true home. So all around the Israelites uh, is this language of Babylon, come, up, come out and buy more and eat more and, and do more and, and have more. And the prophet uh, is writing in response to this. And, and it's just, his, the prophet's heart is broken by his people who have been lured onto this new and dangerous path. And so he writes this poem to Israel, a poem to remind them of home, and he starts his new new uh, message with a, it's sort of written in the language of Babylon, but he reverses it to make a point. I think um, that the language of this poem matters so much to us. So uh, Babylon says, come more, come and buy and eat more. And then the prophet starts his poem this way. Can we get verse one back up there? I love it. He uses similar and yet opposite language. Verse one, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine and milk. It's all free. Here in the very first verse, and then for the rest of our text today, the prophet, he sings this different song to his people. This song to remind them where they come from and the promises that God is offering them. This song to remind the people of God of who they are and where they belong. Uh, here is what the prophet in Isaiah knew. He knew that life in the wilderness, life in exile, it has this way of tempting us to come and buy and eat more and more and more, to come and buy and eat for security, to come and buy and eat, to numb ourselves from the pain of exile, to come and fill ourselves with things, uh, to forget the confusing or the lonely or the empty or the disappointing uh, things that happen to us when we're in the middle of the wilderness. And, and so from the first verse, he's 
reminding his people that in the kingdom of God, these things that fill empty places within us, they can't be bought. That's what's different. Babylon is saying, come buy things that will fill you up. And the prophet in Isaiah is saying, these things that fill you, they can't be bought. They are God's gift to his people, God's good and free gifts to his people who have no way to pay for them. And yet God lavishes them on, lavishes them on us anyway. Uh, the prophet, he's calling out to his people, come and listen. In verse three, he says, come and listen to me so that you can live. You can live life. You are a people in exile. This is not your home. You are meant for something more. And my guess is for some of the Israelites, uh, this poem was a really good thing to hear. It's a really good song, like a reminder of what, uh, the, what the longing within them is for. And I think for other Israelites, my hunch is that this would be a very frustrating thing to hear because they had adopted a Babylonian way of living, uh, a come and buy more way of living. <clears throat> and so this song, it doesn't sound like good news if you want to buy more and eat more and get more and take care of your own glory. Someone coming and saying, hey, it's all free under this rain doesn't sound good when you can just buy it to fill up yourself if that's the way of life that you've adopted. And so I think it's another good and right thing that we look at passages like this during Lent or honestly anytime, um, because in the 21st century America, I don't think we're in a dissimilar place. I don't think the land in which we're living has a message too incredibly different from the message of Babylon. The next verse, verse two says this, why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Another translation of this verse says it like this. Why do you buy food that is not bread? And why do you labor for things that do not satisfy? The prophet, he's saying, why is it that under, in Babylon, why is it that you spend your money and your time on things that aren't actually filling you up? Why are you spending your money and your time on things that are not satisfying you, that are not truly delighting you? Uh, I have a, a, a favorite preacher of mine. It lives in Atlanta. Her name's Ashley Matthews. And, and she, I was listening to her talk about these verses and um, this hit me huge. Uh, she says this, she says that she feels like a modern equivalent of what the prophet is asking here is this. Why is it that you feel so poor and so tired all of the time? Ouch, I heard it. Why is it that you feel so poor and so tired all of the time. You do, don't you? I do. No matter what your income is, and we run the gamut in this room, no matter what you're bringing in, we feel poor all of the time. All the time. We do. And we are tired and unsatisfied all the time. All of the time. I think the prophet from the 6th century BC is in this poem is leaning us into the 21st century AD saying this, why? Why do you feel so poor and so tired and so unsatisfied all of the time when all you are doing is working and consuming and working and consuming? I mean, shouldn't that alarm us, right? 
Like, shouldn't it alarm us? Seriously, in light of the scriptures, in light of what we talk about every single week here, all that we know about the goodness of God, shouldn't it alarm us that no matter how much we bring in, we still feel like it's not enough? We still feel like we're poor. No matter how much we eat or buy or get or do, we still feel unsatisfied. I I think what the prophet is saying uh, to Israel and saying to us is this. Is it possible that we feel this way? Because as people of God, we've been listening to the voice of Babylon, to the empty promises of Babylon. Because maybe we, as people of God, have adopted the practices and the language and the characteristics of Babylon without even realizing it. And we're confused. We're we're buying food that won't strengthen us and working so hard for things that will leave us empty. It's like this. Um... Have you ever visited that little cheese stand at the Kroger in Maryville? Murray's? Hallelujah. Okay, yeah. They're, and they have samples, right? Have you had those? They're not all good. They're not all good. If you have a kid with you, you can then go to the bakery and get a cookie, and it's like a palate cleanser for whatever weird cheese you just ate. That's a, that's a life tip. Um, okay, so there's this cheese in the little Murray's thing at Kroger, and, and it's my very favorite and it's been aged in Merlot barrels. So it's like wine and cheese in one thing. It is a miracle of heaven. It's fantastic. It is so good, it's, it's, it's this cheese and it's aged in Merlot bottles and it's delicious. And you know what else exists in Kroger? Velveeta. Okay, Velveeta also exists in Kroger and we call Velveeta cheese, but is it? I heard someone recently talking about trying to find Velveeta at the store and they kept looking in the cheese aisle for Velveeta and then they found like a store person at Kroger and they said, um, uh, I can't find the Velveeta in the cheese aisle. And the store person said, oh, it's not in the cheese aisle. <laughs> like that. I'm going to get emails about this. I don't care. Um, bring them. Bring them. Do you know, do you know why Velveeta is not located in the cheese aisle? Because it is not cheese. That is why it is not located in the cheese aisle. I looked it up. I Googled this sentence. Is Velveeta cheese? Next sentence I Googled. What is Velveeta? Here's what I discovered from my research, which was embarrassingly extensive. Um, Velveeta used to be cheese. That's the best part. It used to be made of cheese. What is it made of now? Something called whey protein concentrate. Yummy. That's delicious. Isaiah is saying, why are you spending your money on that which is not bread? Why are you investing in Velveeta and calling it cheese? Why are you doing that? Why are you investing in Velveeta and calling it cheese when there is cheese that has been aged in a Merlot barrel? And you're poor, so you can't afford it. So you ask him to cut you off a little piece. That's just $2. You can do that too. On the other side of the room from the Velveeta is cheese that has been aged in a wine barrel made by some master cheese man. I don't know who he is. I like him. What he means is this, why are you adopting the languages and the characteristics and the practices of Babylon and calling it life? Why are we doing this? We consume and consume and consume and we never have enough. We toil constantly and we confuse it with productive and redemptive work. 
We call things that the kingdom of God has declared unfit, not life, and we call them life and we practice them all the time. If this is you, and spoiler alert, this is you and me. I think it's all of us. If you are tired and you are poor and you are unsatisfied, if you are calling Velveeta cheese uh, or the Babylonian exile the good life, then I think that the invitation to Israel in Isaiah 55 is the same invitation to us as well. Like I said in verse 3, he says, listen to this. Listen and you will find life. Listen, and you will find true life. Uh, This comparing and contrasting of two different worlds, it finds its place all over the scriptures, all over the scriptures. Um, So I think what the prophet in Isaiah is talking about in this poem is really similar to something that Paul talks about in the New Testament um, in Philippians. This idea that we were made for something bigger than just Velveeta, uh, bigger than being tired and poor and unsatisfied and calling it life. Uh, In his letter to the Philippians, Paul compares uh, two things like this. In Philippians 3, verse 19, he compares essentially the Babylonian life. In verse 19, he says it like this. He says, they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. That's Babylon. He says, but we, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ is alive. They think their God is their appetite. They think only about this life, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ is alive. Paul says that there are two ways of living. One way thinks only about this life on this earth. They they eat and buy more and more and more. Their, Their God is their appetite. They are always unsatisfied. They can have more stuff and more sex and more success and more power and more money and more food and more and more and more. And yet they remain unsatisfied. But Paul reminds us that there is another way to live life on this earth. And it is as a citizen of heaven, living as an exile, claimed and set free by what has come and what is to come. Here's what the prophet Isaiah and Paul and so many other authors in the scriptures are saying. They're saying this, we were not meant to live 80 years of life, taking on as much of this world as we can, feeling tired and poor and unsatisfied until we die. And then we go to heaven and then we get to rest and be rich and full of life. That isn't the message of the scriptures. And we live like it is. Let's live 80 years. Let's hunker down. Let's be in our best behavior so that we can go to heaven and there we will be rich and there we will be full and there we will rest. We as followers of Jesus were made for so, dear God, I hope that's not all life is. We were made for so much more than just that kind of living. The prophet Isaiah is reminding the people of God that Babylon is not their home Paul's doing the same thing. He's saying we are citizens of heaven. John, in his letter in 1 John, he says it like this. He says, you were made to be in the world, not of the world. So essentially, they're telling us that we as followers of Jesus, we are living in exile here on this earth, but we were made for something more. And that sounds beautiful, right? No one... It does. It sounds exciting and it sounds beautiful. And at the same time, I think the reason you did not is because it's really confusing, isn't it? It's really confusing. Where is our home? Is it this world? Is it heaven? 
uh, where is our home? Is, is it here on earth? Is it the next life? Does, does, being, does being a citizen of heaven mean I belong to somewhere else? Does it mean I belong here? I think sometimes it gets a little confusing to figure out which world we're supposed to invest in and which world we're supposed to belong to. It's, it's really confusing. Um, I think that the answer lies uh, in the voice of God through his prophets during this time of exile in Babylon. So uh, there are a few books in the Old Testament that are written during this period of time. So we said Nehemiah that we studied before is written during the 70 year period. And um, this chunk of Isaiah is written during the 70 year period. And also uh, there, uh, Jeremiah is written during this 70 year period. And so I, I, I think Jeremiah maybe has a little to tell us about this. The prophet Jeremiah, he has some really poignant words um, to help us understand what it means to live a life, a true life here in exile, longing um, for home. Uh, in Jeremiah 29, if you've been around the church at all, then um, if you know any verse in Jeremiah, it comes from chapter 29, where it's like, for I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord. Okay. A few verses before is like even better. I don't know that it's better. I always rank scripture. It's good. Okay. Verse four, here, here's what Jeremiah tells us. To answer this question, he says, this is what the Lord God of Israel says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food that they produce. Marry and have children and then find spouses for your children so that you can have grandchildren. Multiply, don't dwindle away and work for the peace and the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile. What does it mean practically to be in the world and not of the world, to live in exile here as true citizens of heaven? Is it that we just hunker down and are on our best behavior until we get to go to heaven? That isn't the picture of life that the scriptures paint at all. Anywhere. If we are going to learn what it means to live as citizens of heaven in exile on this earth, then I think we have to listen to the words that Jeremiah has to offer this us. If we want to do this, then this is how we do it. We live in this world and we build houses as people of God. And we plant gardens as people of God. And we get married as people of God and we have babies as people of God and we seek the peace and the welfare of the place we have been exiled as people of God. That's what it means. We, we build things. Intentionally, we build things that will help put the world back together. Things that bless the people all around us rather than things that come at their expense. We build things like we believe the message of the scriptures instead of building things that just offer us empty, empty things and come at the expense of other people. We, we, car, we, uh, we get married or we make families. We, we get people together and we offer space for loneliness. The Psalm says it like this. The Psalm says that God puts the lonely into families. And so that's what we do as people of God. We create space in our lives uh, for the lonely and the unsatisfied people to feel like home. Daniel and I, we got married and then we had kids. And then you know what else happened? All these other people freaking showed up at our house and they don't, they won't go away. I'm just kidding. I don't want them to. We make a family where there is room for other people to, to lose the lonely of this world and taste the kingdom that is to come. We learn the difference in what we want and what we need. I, I tried to delete this sentence. I don't know how to do that. 
But that's what we do if we want to live in exile here as citizens of heaven, then we have to learn the difference in what we want and what we need. And we have to ask God for the creativity to join him in renewing long devastated places all over our town, our city, East Tennessee. We seek and we work for the peace and the prosperity and the welfare of the place that God set us in. Where has God set you? East Tennessee. Not you guys, it's like Nashville and South Carolina and wherever. That's where, you, that's where you seek the welfare. That's where you seek peace and prosperity. That's where you live as people of God. As people of God, our hope is not just in getting out of this place. That isn't the message of the Bible. Our hope is not just getting out of this place. Our hope is in the God who set us right where we are in this world in order to make it look a little bit more like our true home. That's our job. Make this place look like the true place. The problem with the Israelites is that they were looking at Babylon as if it was their hope. But the hope of the people of God, it was not to take on as much of Babylon as they could possibly take on. The hope of the people of God was to infiltrate Babylon with the kingdom of God. That's what we do infiltrate East Tennessee with the kingdom of God. It's, it's the same as us, as for us as well. And being in the world, not of the world, means that our goal is not to take on as much of this world as we possibly can. Our goal is to bring as much of the kingdom of God into this world as we possibly can. The scriptures say from start to finish that our hope does not rest here. If that's where your hope is, sorry, no wonder you're poor and tired and dissatisfied. I'm talking to Lindsay. No wonder being in the world, not of the world, uh, instead means us uh, not looking a lot more like Babylon, but we're supposed to make Babylon look a lot more like God's kingdom. And so I wonder where you are in this in your life. A little self-inventory. Are you constantly tired and poor and unsatisfied? Are, are you putting your hope in this world or are you working toward the peace and prosperity and welfare of the place in which you are exiled? Are you influencing this place more or is this place influencing you more? Here's another illustration. Um, so a year ago, uh, my, my Daniel and I and my brother and his wife and my mom and dad went to New York together and it was like the trip of dreams. It was awesome. And so my brother and I, we, we really love New York City. It, it is like, we call it our home away from home. They don't like you to call it that. We don't care. So we love New York City. And, um, and the thing about it is we want people to think we're from there. Like it is, it, is, it is embarrassingly important to my brother and I both that when we're in New York, people assume we're from there. The, one of the best compliments I've ever received is when anyone in New York stops me and asks me for directions. I'm like, yes. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't tell them. I just make something up and hope they get there because I am, I want to be a local. I want people to think I'm a local. And here's the thing. My brother and I, we come from my dad and he cares about dumb stuff like that too. So we take him up there and he catches the bug and he wants to be a local. And so after, you know, he gets like his bearings and then uh, he gets the hang of the city and then, and he starts kind of acting, but then he can't figure out why nobody thinks he's from New York. Like he's acting like he's crossing the street whenever he wants to, like a New Yorker. He's folding his pizza in half like a New Yorker. He's yelling at cars like, an, I'm just kidding, I don't know that he yelled at a car. But he is, he is doing the things of a New Yorker. He's, he's acting like a local the whole time and he can't figure out why no one thinks he, he no, why no one's asking him for directions. And here's why. Because my dad for three days wore the brightest blue coat anyone has ever owned. 
And if you've ever been to New York City, here's what you know, is everyone wears black 100% of the time. That's why it's my dream city. Everyone wears black exclusively. And here is this man in world's brightest blue coat crossing the street whenever he wants to. And he can't, you know, he can't figure out why people don't think he's a local. It, it, it was the coat. And so as I was thinking about this, this was the picture I had in my brain, that we belong here, that we live here on earth as citizens of heaven, that, that we live here, but we're different, that our job is to be bright blue coats in a sea of black and gray and frowns. <laughs> That's what it is, bright blue coats in a sea of black and gray. And so how do we do it? How do we live in this world and not of this world? How, how do we make this world look more like our home instead of exactly uh, like it, instead of us looking exactly like it? How do we seek the welfare of our city uh, without becoming like everyone around us? And the answer, it's so simple and you'll roll your eyes, but it's really hard. How do we do it? We pray really hard. And we read and sing the songs of home. That's why we spend time in the scriptures. They're the song of our home. And then we build things and we reconcile and we renew and we join God in the renewing work that he's doing all over this world. We make families that have room for the lonely and the forgotten in this world. We seek the peace and the welfare of the spaces all around us. The band can come on up. Uh, we're going to take a few minutes. We do this every week at the vineyard. Uh, we call it Selah. It's just a pause, a quiet minute not to move on too quickly. Um, and so here, here are the questions I'm asking myself. So if I have to ask myself, I'm making you ask yourself. Here are my questions. How are you doing in this? Do you know? This is the one that I felt like I needed to tattoo on my forehead. Do you know that you were not made to feel poor and tired and unsatisfied all the time? That wasn't what you were made for. You were made for a life that, that God has called you to, a, a, a promised land kind of life, a life that Jeremiah 29, 11, you were made for promise and future. That's what God made you for, promise and future. And so how are you? Are you living your life listening to the voice of Babylon? Or are you living your life singing the songs of home? Does your life look more like Babylon or does it look more like a citizen of heaven? Uh, let's pray. I need to pray. <coughs> God, I pray that you fill us with your spirit to give us the courage to look inside our own lives. To figure out where we are. What does our life look like? Do, do we look more like Babylon or do we look more like you? Where are we finding our hope? Are we finding our hope in the promise of more? Are we finding our hope in the promise of you? I feel like that's your unsatisfying at times answer that is also the most satisfying thing to our soul is that you're not always promising us more, but you are always promising us more of you. And sometimes I just want more money. And sometimes I just want more stuff. And sometimes I just wanna 
be able to do the things that I want to do in the way that I want to do them. And, and sometimes I just want the things of this world to fill me up. And yet you respond the same way every time. I'll give you more of me. What you need is more of me. Are you thirsty? Come drink, it's free. Are you tired? Come rest, it's free. Will you remind us of the song that you sing over us? In your name we pray, amen. So we do this every week. We come to the table every week at the vineyard. And I was just standing up there thinking I wanted to giggle. Um, so if the scriptures are, are the song of home for us, uh, then this is the table of home. If the scriptures are the song of what's to come, this is the table of what is ours and what is coming. This is a big table. And I love the, the, the way we do it. We had the Presbyterians last week and I felt like they did a really good job just clumping up and coming forward like how we do. It was awesome. I, I love it. I, I, I love it because I, I think that it's supposed to look like a family meal. It's supposed to look like all of us, every single one clumping together in the middle and coming forward. Why? Because God put the lonely into families. And so this is the table of what's to come, that everyone is welcome. You, you don't have to be a member of the vineyard to come to this table, just a follower of the King. And every follower of the King gets to come and have the meal. Are you thirsty? Come drink. Are you hungry? Come eat. That is no small thing. So if you want to take a second and, I don't know, you can giggle a little if you want. That's what I'll do. And just think on it. This is the table of what's to come. It, it's the table that says you aren't alone. It's, it's the table that says more isn't what fills you, but more of Jesus is always here. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. 
eat this out of your great affection for me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, he blessed it and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant between God and man, my blood for you. Drink this out of your great affection for me. For whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim my life, death, and we believe resurrection. Now that means whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, you sing the song of home. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you sent your son to make a way for us where there was no way. We thank you that the cross changed quite literally everything for us. That in the face of our darkness, you made peace. In the face of our despair, you made hope. And so we come forward as a family and we say thank you. We love you. Amen.